Thank you. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Up next, cover to cover, open book. To the Poet to Poet series. I'm your host, Nina Serrano. My guest today is Garrett Murphy, novelist and poet. He's best known for his satire and humor about human nature and politics. Welcome, Garrett Murphy. Well, thanks for inviting me over. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. I'm looking forward to hearing some of your new work. Where will we begin? Well, I recently published a novel. Oh, can you tell us a little about us and read a little? Uh, the title is called Yang But Yin, The Legend of Miss Dragon Hill. And, you know, it's basically about a woman who was once the top agent at a high-powered agency and called Miss Dragon Hill after a co-worker's right remark about her determined temperament and footwear. And the one thing that undid her was that she was exposed as a black woman passing for white. And once she's forced off that mountain and by the scandal and notoriety, she is fluctuating between reality and fantasy and perhaps sanity and insanity and takes adventures in a large oak tree in her backyard and she meets up with a very dark-skinned artisan who idolizes her in his portraits but also forces her to venture outside her self-absorption to rediscover her true identity. It's a type of fiction that's common to Latin American fiction, but... You mean magical realism? Yes, magical realism. So let's hear something from it. Do you need to tell us anything about the characters or the situation before you start reading? Or are you um, going to start at the very beginning? I probably should start where they first meet Florence and Breed. Breed is the artisan. Florence could not help but notice the large, dark man seated on a butch bench across from a regular shopping place. He had been present for the past couple of weeks. Large notepad in one hand and one some sort of pencil or pen. She was too far away to see which well in the other. He was clearly doodling something in that notepad every so often look at it had seen ahead of him. She could not from her vantage point determine his expression to any great extent, but she had had a feeling that his view was that of a fairly scornful critic, a feeling which touched something within her as if it might have been her he was looking at. Previously, she had ignored it, and she continued her shopping and did so on this day as well. But on her way out, as she was placing her purchases into Civic, something in her had had enough. Abruptly slamming the door shut, she stalked her way to the spot where he was, crossing the street face to face and fix him. A stalker aimed at me, hmm? Well, this prey ain't gonna fall that easy. She stood there over him, noting that his drawings were of the buildings in the area. They appeared accurate enough that there was a skeletal emptiness in them, as though, well, if they had been meat parts, the bones remaining after the rest was consumed might have had something in common with the buildings as rendered by the street artists. A most unusual depiction of your surroundings, she burst in as soon as he seemed to have completed the last piece. He turned to look up at her, but in such a composed way that she could tell she had not succeeded in jolting him. What's the cliché, he replied. I call them as I see them. Well, then, she remarked. How would you call me, for example? You'd think I've been staring at you. Lawrence instinctively opened her mouth to retort, but he went on resignedly. Well, maybe I have and maybe I haven't. Either way, you could get the police on me and I'd end up as a ticket for police abuse, occupational hazard of being my heel and size. But maybe you have other plans. No, no, she said a little jarred. I'm neither accusing you nor trying to pick you up. Didn't really think so, he said, flipping a page in his notepad. But let me try to answer your question. To her surprise, he began to sketch her quickly, looking at her off and on as he did so. 
Lawrence held still to be cooperative, not quite certain of what he was up to. Within a short time, he had finished and handed the sketch to her. Here you are. She examined the sketch of herself. It was an accurate enough, albeit Art Deco-influenced portrait of her face, but something about it unnerved her. The expression, while Placid had a pain, questioning air to it, as if dogged with uncertainty. Was this her mirror image? She wanted to deny that it was, but she could not take her eyes or heart away from the portrait. Looks like you got lots to learn. You've got quite a talent, she said. Even I can use one, he replied. This is something I would like to look over. You don't mind if... She moved to dig inside her purse. Not at all. You can keep it. And the money, too. Then would you at least sign it, she asked, offering the portrait back to him. He took it, scribbled in it in his lower right corner, then returned it to her. Thank you very much. No problem. She made her way back to the Civic, a little humbled in embarrassment over what she had prejudged. It was not exactly clear to her how she had managed to avoid colliding with something for her eyes while her portrait. But it was only after she was inside and secured herself in preparation to leave that she realized what had been written on the portrait. To my idol, the legendary Miss Dragonheel, Breed Hamilton. She hissed. Why that manipulative? Yet she was not sure whether it was out of anger or a gesture of a touche. Interesting, interesting. I really want to hear more. How did you get started on this project? Because all along I've known you only as a poet. Actually, I was doing fiction before I did poetry. That poetry was really the last of the genres I went into. And so what did you have in mind when you started writing this novel? Well, basically, I probably just to get it on my system. Who did the cover? Um, that's me who did the cover. So, in a sense, the artist is maybe a little bit of you. Well, yes, I would suspect most of my male protagonists are. And I'm, in fact, I'm sure that most of my male protagonists reflect some aspect of me. And, and many of them do resemble myself in a way, particularly in the fiction. So, what happens after she gets home and reads that he's dedicated this portrait to her and already knows her name and that he admires her? What happens next? Basically, she meets, runs into him again and later on in the night. And that's a couple of chapters from, from before. And I'm, she was driving too fast to the curves and hills. Really, she would have to watch that. But it would be so hard. This was one of the few means of power she had left other than her house, and she could hardly move that. She casually glanced at her watch somewhere along the trip. Oh, didn't realize it was that late. That's what you get for being such a lit. But she mock scolded herself as she hooked in the next turnoff. A few minutes down where she noticed some sort of commotion ahead, showing up so as to get a glimpse of what the fuss was about and to avoid accidentally hitting someone should they get rowdy enough to chill down in their path. It was a frantic chase. A mob of about a dozen was shouting obscenities at the object of their chase. It was a large black male which somehow raised Florence's ire. So that's who you're chasing. Act like stop, will you? Abruptly flooring the accelerator, she rocketed past a startled mob and their prey and jerked the head of the ladder, cutting him off by kicking the door, facing him open. Get in quick, she cried at him, as she instinctively threw himself inside, whereupon she floored it again as he quickly shut the door, leaving a frustrated and angry mob to sulk and loudly curse as one. It had all happened too fast for anyone to even get a glimpse of the car or his license. When Florence finally turned to face the man she had rescued, her face rose briefly for she recognized him. Looks like we meet again, Miss Dragonheel, Breeze replied. No need to call me that, she remarked with quick composure. Those days are gone now. Might as well call me Florence like everyone else. But what were you doing out there? Well, Florence, we flatland folk like to visit the views, too. At least some of us do. He grunted as though to get serious. Trouble was, I missed the last bus while delivering a portrait to someone around here. And as I was trudging through there, I ran into some clowns who didn't like my portraits and liked I, our kind even less. He paused. Along with my dark hue and perceived class. Yes, yeah, some utopia as it's turned out to be, she found herself having to agree. But didn't you realize how late it was? 
Not when I do my work, he said, reaching into a pack and pulling out several pictures. Can't look at them right now. Wait till we stop off. Oh, I wasn't offering them, only trying to examine them. He looked through his work. Good, the ruckus didn't mess up any of them. I'd have charged you to wear this ride, she charged. You do owe me one, Mr. Hamilton. Might as well call me Bree like everyone else, he smiled wryly. Considering it all, I'm rather lucky. You're lucky I don't kick you, she mocked, snapped. Breed? Well, it sounds like they're going to turn out to be friends, and I wonder if it would be revealing too much to tell me, do they turn out to be lovers? There's a potential for that, but it never explicitly goes that far, at least not during the course of the story. So how would listeners who might want to know where the story goes from here get hold of this book? Oh, it's available on Amazon.com. Tell us the title again. It's called Yang But Yin, The Legend of Miss Dragonheel. And it's by Garrett Murphy. Yes, it can also be obtained through my website, which is called GarrettMurphyWriter.org. That's all lowercase letters and all one word. GarrettMurphyWriter.org. And the Garrett is G-A-R-R-E-T-T. Correct. And then Murphy, your regular Murphy. Yes, and then the writer. Garrett Murphy Writer. I did manage to get into a couple of bookstores. For example? Well, one is called the Laurel Bookstore on MacArthur Boulevard. Yes. There's also books in Inc- Oakland. Yes, and there's also books Inc. in Alameda. I've even managed to get it in a place called Rebound Bookstore, which is in San Rafael. So in San Rafael, Rebound Bookstore. Yes. In Oakland. Laurel Bookstore. And in Alameda Books Inc. So it is available there also, as well as on Amazon under Garrett Murphy. And the title again is Yang But Yin, The Legend of Miss Dragon Heel. So, Garrett, you were born right here in Alameda, is that right? Well, yes, although I never actually lived in Alameda. I was raised in Oakland. And how did you start writing? Well, I'm still trying to figure that out. My mother says I was reading and writing at the age of four. Wow. You were just always writing? Yes, I'm, I suspect I was always reading first, but, I'm, but I eventually got into writing not long afterwards. Oh, interesting, interesting. So let's hear something else. This first one I have is called Check, Please Don't. Okay, your state ID. Check. Your driver's license. Check. Photo ID. Check. Vehicle registration. Check. Birth certificate. Check. Passport. Check. Marriage certificate. Check. Doctor's verification. Check. Power of attorney. Check. High school diploma. Check. Middle school diploma. Check. Elementary school diploma. Check. Proof of residential living for the last 20 years. Check. Military honorable discharge. Check. Proof of mental competency. Check. All this stuff just to obtain a gun? Gun? What gun? This is the voter registration line. The gun owner's registration is a fast express lane. The one with fast tracking processing. No waiting there. Not ever. Wow. (laughs) It took me a minute to get that one. I'm afraid that's true. And what else have you got? And this is a, a ballad would-be marriage of sorts. Paula and George gets married and sends them. Miss Dean, do you agree to take as your lawlessly a lawfully wedded husband, Mr. Zimmerman, in blissful glee, in sickness with no help, and blah, 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 so help you God? I do. Mr. Zimmerman, oh, you know, same question. I do. 
Then by the power, corrupt enemy Judge Deborah Nelson with apologies to all of you for the horrendous delay in commencing the ceremony due to the unfortunate insistence that we all engage in that charade of a trial on behalf of Mr. Zimmerman just to humor the politically correct who were upset about that little useless gangbanger, Master Martin, and we must offer our gracious thanks to our best man, Mr. O'Mara, and our head groomsman, Mr. West, for their guiding us all that with loyal assistance from our matron of honor, Miss Corey, and our usher, Mr. Guy. That'll teach him all what happens when you refuse a job of server for us. But oh, so sorry for my discretion. Where were we? Oh, yes. By the power corrupted in me, I now pronounce you master and sli- Oh, I mean man and wife. Please kiss the bride. Miss B-37, please try to control yourself. You are our lead bridesmaid, remember? I can't help it. This should have been me. Yes, yes, but there is only one George Zimmerman. You'll just have to wait for the copycats to accumulate. Excuse me, Miss Flower Girl, if you will. Please toss a bouquet of flowers to the bridesmaids. Thank you. Hey, that was not very nice. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. This news just breaking a horrible close to the wedding of Paula Dean and George Zimmerman this afternoon. It appears that the bridesmaids, the judge, and all the other attendees, including the entire civic leadership and police force of Stanford, Florida, and alas, the bride and groom, were leveled by a series of hurled or dropped watermelons deceptively hidden inside bouquets of flowers. The first to fall were the bridesmaids, consisting of a Miss Speed 37 and the ice cream licking daughters of the head groomsman, then the judge, and so on, and so on, and so on. Authorities are astounded by the ingenuity of the perpetrator, allegedly believed to be a Miss Chantel, who remains at large and is being elevated at the top of the ten most wanted list as well as a terrorist alert. The wedding servers, who were miraculously spared, claim to know nothing about any of this, curiously with a twinkle in their eyes. You're listening to Garrett Murphy, and that's his poem on the Trevon Martin case. Your take on things is never like anybody else's. Never, never, never. Your satiric ideas, how did they come to you? Well, I'm not still trying to figure that out, to be honest. Basically, I didn't just set out to do a satire. I just basically wanted to get some stuff written out, and I turned out that people thought it was satire. That's basically how I go about things. I don't pay attention to any genres or rule books. I just write it out and I'll let others determine what category to put it in. What other poems do you have for us? Well, I have one about stop and frisk. This is called Emperor's True Clothes. Emperor Mikey channels Humphrey Bogart, tells all a color. When you're stopped, frisked, and humiliated, when you're slapped, you should be grateful. You'll take it and you'll like it. Minorities are not channeling Peter Lorre. Instead, they agitate, fight back, and lobby, and surprise. A federal judge rules that the implementation of stop and frisk, slaps and all, is unconstitutional. Take that and like that, Mikey, and your pit bully cheap, too. Imagine that Mikey and his doggy reveal their petulance. Sorry, Hans, but this emperor does have clothes, and not just his overdue diaper. The robe it covers is not the least royal, but it is just as white with a pointy top hat. You really a sort of proto hoodie. But the emperor is not even an emperor after all. Just another privileged and preppy-dup perp who had to take no for a change instead of giving that exalted little word. You know, your reading style is always so quick and your wit is so quick that there's always a delay reaction in me to getting the poem. Just as I'm getting it, it's over because I'm I'm not right with you. I'm behind you because my mind works slower and your speech and your poems come so fast. So what are some other poems you'd like to share with us? What's new, Pussy Riot? What's new for Pussy Riot, or is it so new? Certainly not to those wild women who've run with the wolves and done the equivalent of relief on the symbol of power. Prison time for three, hounding for two others for performance art in a church. 
But of course, them churches to engage in forms of performance art on a very routine basis, particularly on that Sabbath, but don't pass that one on. Perhaps if they had called themselves Doggy Riot, but that would have been such an oxymoron for the canine, domesticated what else, that Putin and the church clearly preferred would have been also obedient like a good girl should. But that's no doubt not new for Pussy Riot. Pussy Riot, Pussy Riot, all the same, salute you and applaud you for speaking and performing truth to power, and hopefully that info is not so new for you either. So you stay very attuned to the news. Seems to be reflected in reports. Mm, yes. And then you're often moved to immediately write a poem after you hear the news, it well, sounds not, like. Well, not necessarily. I'm usually mull over it before I actually write something. I want to be sure I get everything correct. And I also read a number of periodicals such as The Nation, In These Times, Utney Raider, and The Express Bay Guardian. And, and then you write the poem. So what else do you have? Oh, this is called Hostess Spy. Oh, Susie Q., you were one of the first to be cast aside in favor of the cupcake, fruit pie, that notorious Twinkie, falsely accused as accessory to the Moscone milk murders, and yes to Ding Dong, how up that one is when you think about it. Ho, ho, ni, yo, ho, the chocolatey snack that gives one go, a big delight in every bite. So claimed the corporate management, who played the B to the rest of us, employees, rank and files, Dolly Madison, Toscana and Colombo, French breads, even Wonder Bread, a countless bunch of others, and ultimately we gullible consumers, who, under all noses, were cast as the ites that the bee gobbled up, chomping at the bit of its own snowball effect. But just like the glutton in the yellow submarine, the bee players ate up everything they could, a big delight in every bite indeed, till they finally swallowed themselves all up and out of existence. Or was it indigestion from a union that refused to go down quietly? In any case, scratch another snack maker that gave itself go. Like that one. I have a poem also about Harvey Milk and the the sugar mm. Twinkie mm. defense. That was really, that was like all-time bottom of legal defense. Mm. But also reflects how vicious the food that we're offered is. Uh, yeah. That you could even consider that eating that food could make you a homicidal maniac. Uh, yes. The sad. Anything else? Yeah, well, this one is a something of a I did about Alameda for one forgery group called the Alameda Island Poets. A few years back, they wanted us to describe something about place or thing in Alameda, which is, happens to be my place of birth. This is called, Darling, We Love You, But Give Us Park Street Instead. You may be a big cheese in the apple on right coast. We're all in the land and admittedly here, too. Look up and marvel your high-up importance. But here in the island city, you're just another residential street. Just so plain old run-of-the-mill. Sure, you have a sizable park between your flanks. And said park is majestic by any and all standard. Still, it seems quite peculiar of you to think that you measure up here to your neighbor, what's arguably this Berg's major street, whose first name you share for several blocks. Sure, we may love you, but as wrong-headed as it is, most we fear don't wish to be given Park Avenue. I'm always a little bit behind you. I know Alameda pretty well because my children live there, but I was wondering what the other reference was, but Park Avenue in New York... Yeah. yeah, it took me a while to get that. I love how you described the park between your flanks, and that really it's a very modest little park. It's only two blocks long. But there is something very old-time and lovely about it. Uh, yes. And another poem? It's called The Anti-Happy Birthday Rag. A is for asinine, aggravating, abusive, and age-slash-eats. S is for stubborn, silly, Sickle and stupid. C is for conniving, cutthroat, 
clueless, and crumbs. A is for acrimonious, heirs, aimless, and avaricious. P is for petulant, pig-headed, prejudiced, and pompous. And all that stands for a certain highfalutin organization that always forgets that it was its own intransigence and petty narrow-mindedness that helped to give birth to its main competition. They still haven't learned they even have the gall to crack down on one for the heinous crime of singing a happy birthday. Oh, now I get that one, too. There's this delay reaction about the copywriting of the happy birthday song. That is an outrage, isn't it? Uh, yes, it's because for a long time at, at some poetry venues, when they couldn't even sing the song. Because, really? Unless the venue had a cabaret license. Wow. And I'm not even entirely sure that's not still true, but, but that was pretty serious a few years ago. Western Muse. This may possibly arc back to the old Wester before. Iconic figure, larger than life, and larger than all, especially the adversaries. Good guys wear white, are white, pure as snow, ramrod straight, chiseled, and larger than all, golden boys. John Wayne, 6-4, Clint Eastwood, 6-4, Buford Pusser, 6-6, James Arness is Matt Dillon, 6-6, Bumper Morgan, shoe size 13, Triple E, Schwarzenegger, Massive Muscle. Bad guys wear black. Can be black or brown or red or yellow or foreign, foreign object or even a white, not like the icon, due to lack of size or Aryanism or patrimony or other. Smaller dark guy, black hats, dark hair, dark complexion, accent, and we don't mean the seasoning. Sometimes crippled in some way, such as blind or disabled, or speech impediment, or even smaller, not ramrod straight, of nose or feature or complexion, the black sheep. Not like the picture-perfect, larger-than-life icons that continues on to this day with Jack Reacher, 6'5". Self-confident. You'd be self-confident, too, if you knew you were endowed with all the advantages. To say nothing, of course, about Superman and Shazam, Captain Marvel. Of course, self-confidence must come by decimating self-esteem of all the little people. Namely, anyone not like the icon, as though they were little more than pesky ants crawling all over the picnic. No wonder 6'5", Johannes Messerly, is called a hero by some delusionary folks for shooting an unarmed black man barely half his size. Wow. Who are some of the poets you would say influenced you or have been among your favorites? Okay, well, um... Most often compared to what Langston Hughes and... Would you say he's one of your favorites? Oh, yes, definitely. He definitely is. Were you reading him as a child? Well, not, I read him, but he came along at a very crucial time for me. I was looking for some black heroes. I was, the awareness of that, it was that the heroes are the generally white-dominated what had started to become clear to me, and I came across a library book called Famous Negro Heroes of America, which... And that was where I first heard of him. And were there other African-American or African writers that you also were interested in? Oh, yes, there were a number of them. And Gordon Parks and also um, Paulie Marshall and Tony Morrison were in, was another. And Ed Bullins. Oh, Ed Bullins was a local person. Yes, I learned that a little later on. I didn't quite know it at the time. And I've read some Ishmael Reed as well and... And what other poems did you want to share? Addicted to crackdowns. Do you have a craving to punish simply because you can? Do you desire death penalties for looking out of the ordinary? Does the notion of collective punishment send you into ecstasy? Do you crave fantasies of maximum security prisons for accidental littering? If any of the above describes you, you may be addicted to crackdowns. But not to worry, we have a grand new group for you, Crackdownies Anonymous. 
And you need not worry about exposition of your identity on the part of our organization. Of course, we cannot assume responsibility for your identity being revealed by your own blatant acts of your addiction. Crackdown is anonymous is especially recommended for bosses, parents, police, judges, prosecutors, presidents, governors, school superintendents, principals, and administrators of all stripes, and anyone else drunk on their authority. Crackdown addiction is not easy to overcome, the need to sought after, and popular addiction by far. Having long surpassed love addiction in its appeal and food addiction in its difficulty to overcome. Other addictions trail far behind. Crackdownies Anonymous is still in its infancy, and studies have yet to be completed concerning its effectiveness. However, the time is long overdue for an organization such as this. Our prisons, shelters, and asylums are for a far too many casualties of crackdown addiction, and there are many casualties out on the street as well. And you may already be one of them, never mind knowing one. Join Crackdownies Anonymous. Crackdown on Crackdowns. There's another poem I've heard of yours that somewhat reminds me of this that you read on our comedy program. And it was one where you listed the, well, where you attacked authoritarian personalities, which I think comes out in this poem. Uh, Yes. That seems one of your major targets. Oh, yeah, it's a, a very easy target. And what would you read us for your final poem? And this is called How to Rent a Negro. It robs and assaults, it deals in drugs, it makes a perfect bad guy of the authoritarian with no heart. Even kicks up a good first on your favorite show or movie, it's Renny Negro for your party, gala, or social event. Guaranteed in bread from 1619 on to do as you say. Marvels as slurs out Yasser in action. Relaxing and entertaining and shuffles with his giant tick lick grin and experience loads of laughs with his exaggerated features. Soon you will be the talk of the town and patrons will do the slur and the jive all across the land. Yes, Renny Negro and you'll never have a dull party again. Think the kingpin of crime was stolen in the comics? Send your Renny Negro to take his place in the film. Your neighborhood cop having a bad day? Look, your Renny Negro we got to get up for a cop or release. Can't get rid of that illicit drug dealership? Your Renny Negro we got to get off your hands. Want to scare your kid or some others to death? When your Renny Negro is done, those clan Nazians or violent advocations will go so far to the root they'll have to turn folks away. Yes, Renny Negro and your, all your troubles are over, and all you have to do is dial and repeat after yourself. O-G-E-E-I-M-2-D-U-M-B. That's O-G-E-E-I-M-2-D-U-M-B. Check our credit cards every every one of them in the car. I'm bread and every cent you got. Because to be honest, you do need to rent a Negro. Believe me, you really are need to rent a room. I don't want this Lapfield Farm Resort where you get a complimentary furless coat. I believe they call it a straitjacket. Now, that has to be read the fastest that I've heard any poet read a poem. But I got it. I got it. And that's because I am based in part on those some of those infomercials as with where I'm was to read it like some the way some of those announcers plug their products on those for commercials. Oh, where they try to do it as fast as yes. getting as many yes. words as they can per minute. Yes, and um no not many people seem to get that for some reason. Well, I think I got it. As I've been hearing your poems, I'm my mind is working just a little bit faster now because I had to uh, keep up with you. And you're very quick wit. I want to tell people where they can get your novel, Yang But Ying, The Legend of Miss Dragonheel by Garrett Murphy, GarrettMurphyWriter.org. That's GarrettMurphyWriter.org. And the Garrett has two R's and two T's. And they can also probably find ways to get some of your other many chapbooks. Yes, most of them are available through my website. And they can also go on Amazon and check out Garrett Murphy, and they'll find your novel, Yang But Ying, The Legend of Miss Dragonheel. And I should put a small shout-out to createspace.com. Who helped with this project. Well, we're looking forward to more poems and bringing you back again 
Garrett Murphy, and thank you so much for coming and sharing your poems and your time with us. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Uh, to me as well. This has been Nina Serrano, and I've been interviewing writer, novelist, poet, Garrett Murphy. Well, you play that Tarantella, all the hounds will start to roar. The boys all go to hell and then the Cubans at the floor. They drive along the pipeline, they tangle to their sore. They take apart their nightmares and they leave them by the door. Let me fall out of the This has been Nina Serrano with Jill Montgomery for the Poet to Poet series. Please check out my website, ninaserrano.com, to hear other programs, poems, and a listing of my upcoming events. Thanks for listening. Remember Bill Ayers? Vintage radical activist, infamous veteran of the Weather Underground, Angela Davis knows him as a deeply dedicated parent, compassionate teacher, and principled revolutionary activist. Adam Mansbach calls Ayers a master teacher and master storyteller. Amy Goodman praises him for embracing a lifelong commitment to social change. Now Bill Ayers, author of Fugitive Days, is coming to us with his new book, Public Enemy, Confessions of an American Dissident. He'll be at the Hillside Club, 2286 Cedar Street in Berkeley, on Wednesday, November 6th, 7 p.m., for a KPFA benefit. The witty Max Pringle will host. Tickets are